Tonight we're going to look together at the Word of God as it comes to us from Matthew 27. I'm going to begin reading at verse 11 and then read through verse 26. Matthew 27, beginning at verse 11. What we hear now is God's Word. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, there have been a number of famous trials uh, down through history. Uh, We think of the Nuremberg War Trials following the World War. We think about, some of you perhaps remember, the spy trial of Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. I am always fascinated by trials. I'm fascinated by the courtroom. Uh, I enjoy uh, watching uh, court-type shows on TV. I used to love watching Perry Mason, uh, those types of shows. Because so often on TV, as you're watching the show unfold, the person who is actually innocent looks so guilty. And the guilty person looks like they're innocent. That's good storytelling on TV, court TV. Tonight, uh, we look at what could truly be called the trial of the ages. As the Son of God himself is being put on trial before a human magistrate. 
And as this story unfolds, the innocence of Jesus is seen again and again and again. So much so that at the end we would say, how is it possible that he could be the one end up being convicted? And how is it possible that a guilty man could be set free? Tonight we look at the innocent and the guilty in the trial of Jesus. We see Jesus' innocence in both what Jesus says and what he does not say. Look at verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. Now while that... um, answer seems a bit ambiguous as it's translated into English. It is very, very clear. Jesus is saying, yes, I am. You said it. You are right. I am the king of the Jews. When Jesus is questioned directly by the magistrate, he answers directly, and he answers honestly. Are you the king of the Jews? Yes. Yes, I am. It is just as you have said. He declares who he is. But then, then others begin to come and accuse him. Verse 12, so when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Pilate said to them, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer. When he is asked directly, are you the king of the Jews? He answers directly and truthfully. But when all the others come with other accusations, he says nothing. He needs to say no more. He has declared the truth, and there are no other charges to be answered. In fact, so much so that, that, that the governor, we read, is amazed. In the, in the Roman court system, they uh, bent over backwards to make sure that anyone who was accused had full opportunity to defend themselves. In a Roman trial, no less than three times, the accused would be given opportunity to declare his innocence. And so when all these charges are brought and Jesus answers nothing, not even to a single charge, the governor is amazed. Jesus remains silent. He has spoken the truth and now He remains silent against all these charges. And yet, yet even his silence speaks volumes. As Jesus remains silent before his accusers, we are reminded of the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah describes the suffering servant of God who will come. And in Isaiah 53, verse 7, we read this, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Even Jesus' silence speaks of his innocence. 
He is that lamb which is going to be led to the slaughter. He is the one who is oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. That one prophesied, the suffering servant of God, who would come to his people. Jesus' words and his silence speak of his innocence. Pilate's actions speak of Jesus' innocence. Pilate wants to release Jesus. Uh, Verse 15, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. It was the practice that when the feast took place, the governor could let someone go. He could give a pardon. And so Pilate wants to pardon Jesus. He wants to pardon him and let him go. Verse 17, so when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate knows, verse 18, he knew it was out of envy they had delivered him up. Not because he was guilty, but they were envious of Jesus, envious of his following. Not because he'd done anything wrong. Pilate wants to let him go, recognizing his innocence. And so Pilate does his best to to say, who can I let go? Let's let Jesus go. And we have this this strange um, encounter here between the word of Pilate's wife in verse 19. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. It is as if Pilate's wife testifies on Jesus' behalf. Have nothing to do with him. He is righteous. Even Pilate's wife somehow recognizing his innocence. I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Pilate is being bombarded with evidence of Jesus, the innocent one. Pilate, Pilate, knowing that it was only out of envy, it was not because he'd done anything wrong, Pilate had an obligation to set Jesus free. And yet, what does Pilate do? Verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Some manuscripts say this righteous man's blood. I am innocent, Pilate says, and he washes his hands before the crowd. The Jews would not miss the significance of that action. Pilate washing his hands saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. They would remember the law of God, back in the book of Deuteronomy. When when someone was found uh, out on the road and he was dead, uh, those in the town nearby had a ceremony to say, we are innocent of this man's blood. And that that declaration is in uh, Deuteronomy 21, uh, picking up at verse 6 there. And all the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall testify, our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it shed. 
Accept atonement, O Lord, for your people whom you have redeemed. It was a declaration. We do not know how this man died. We are declaring ourselves innocent. But while they declared themselves innocent, in this same ceremony, they declared the man who they found innocent as well. Accept atonement, O Lord, for your people whom you have redeemed, and do not set the guilt of innocent blood, the man we have found, innocent blood, in the midst of your people Israel. So their blood guilt will be atoned for. Pilate washing his hands was not only a declaration of his innocence, he was also declaring Jesus' innocence. I am not responsible for the blood of this righteous man. I am innocent of his righteous blood. In fact, Pilate, we read at the very end of our text, verse 26, he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. He had him whipped children. That's what a scourging is. It's to whip Jesus. And even this was in some way to recognize Christ's innocence. Although a scourging, a whipping is a terrible thing, it is comparatively less gruesome than a crucifixion. To be sure, it's a terrible way to die, but it is a less terrible way than a crucifixion. In fact, many who were scourged, who were whipped, died before the crucifixion could took place. Even in this, Pilate in some way recognizes Jesus' innocence. His innocence is spoken of again and again in what Jesus says and what he does not say. In the actions of Pilate, in trying to release Jesus, in the words of his wife, in, in washing his hands, even in having him whipped, and yet the crowd, the crowd will have none of it. They will condemn Jesus. Verse 20. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. While Pilate may have hoped, may have even expected they would call for Jesus to be released. The leaders whip up the crowd. So when Pilate asks the question, they call out, not release Jesus, but they call out Barabbas, this notorious prisoner. He would be released instead. What about Jesus? Verse 21. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. Crucify him. In this trial of the century, trial of the ages, we see the innocent condemned to die. And we see the guilty set free. It is that 
amazing truth that we commemorate tonight on Good Friday. Because we know there is more going on here than just what is seen on the surface. Jesus in his crucifixion will not simply stand before a human judge, but he will be judged by the judge of all the world. And and we say, well, how is it possible that a just judge would allow this to go on? Jesus, God the Father knew, was innocent. How would he allow him to go to the cross and go all the way to death? Because it was exactly Jesus' innocence that qualified him to pay the price for the guilty. All mankind is guilty and stands under God's judgment, and none of us can offer anything for ourselves or for another. But Jesus Christ was perfectly innocent. He did not have to pay for his own sins. And it was that innocence which qualified him to pay for the guilty and to release them, not only temporally, temporally, but to release them eternally, released forever from our sins, released forever from the condemnation. The guilty set free. In in this story, we find ourselves in the place of Barabbas, Barabbas, one who was justly imprisoned, who was justly under a sentence. And yet, yet he's the one who is freed. We find ourselves also under a sentence, under a death sentence from God because of our sin. And yet Jesus, the innocent, comes and sets the guilty free. I don't like to uh, go beyond what Scripture says. I don't like to add things that are not there. But I cannot help but think of what it must have been like for Barabbas. Again, in, in my mind, I picture Jesus and Barabbas off in a cell somewhere, they, 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 can, they can hear something of what's going on, but not, not distinctly. And I, I imagine Barabbas, as he listens, trying to find out what's happening, and, and, and hears some rumblings, and then suddenly hears his name, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. And what's the next thing he hears? Crucify him! Crucify him! And as Barabbas is then approached and the jail opened, rather than being led to a cross, he is set free. That's what we commemorate tonight. The wonder 
of Good Friday. You know, kids, when I was, when I was your age, I think I was confused about why we call tonight Good Friday. How could it be that, that when Jesus Christ, our beloved Savior, is wrongly condemned and is taken to a cross and suffers a cruel, painful death, why in the world would we call that Good Friday? Isn't that a terrible Friday? We remember, as we saw last Sunday with the triumphal entry, the goodness, the blessing was for us. We commemorate Good Friday because we are the guilty who was set free. We are the condemned who was released eternally. Tonight, we gather to commemorate God's love, His mercy, and His grace shown toward us while He pours out His wrath upon His own Son. Oh, it, it is a good Friday, for God has shown His grace, His amazing grace and mercy to us. But as I said, the crowd will have none of it. They will have Jesus taken away and crucified. And what do they say, verse 25? And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. They would reject the innocent. They would reject this Son of God. And, and they spoke, oh, too truly. Their they would bear his blood upon them and on their children. Anyone who would reject Jesus Christ remains under condemnation, remains guilty, remains under that death sentence. For any who would reject Jesus Christ, yes, his blood will be upon them. And so God calls us tonight. Why would you perish? Why would you, why would you continue in that life? But turn to me, turn to Jesus Christ, the perfectly innocent, the one who was sent to bear the sins of each and every one of his people. Put your faith in him and embrace him as Lord of your life, the one who went to the cross for you, the one in whom you are set free. That's the joy that we celebrate tonight. We know the truth. We have been set free by the blood, by the cross of Jesus Christ. Tonight, um, as I was leaving the house, uh, Mary said, are we going to sing all the good, good Friday songs? I said, yes, we are. I, I love the Good Friday songs, the songs we sang tonight. Uh, we sang one of my favorites just this past Sunday when we sang uh, Man of Sorrows. And I love A Man of Sorrows, and uh, it is um, in the Trinity Psalter hymnal as well as the Blue Psalter hymnal. And in the Trinity, um, they have included uh, one of my favorite verses that is not in the Blue. 
Uh, it begins, man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a Savior. And then verse 3, guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God, was he. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Full atonement. The guilty freed by the death of the innocent. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we are overwhelmed at the magnitude of this night. The fullness of your wrath poured out on the innocent Son, Jesus Christ. And in that terrible punishment that he took, all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame removed, the guilty set free. How can we begin to thank you, O God, for this glorious gift? Thank you for this night that we can remember what Christ has done for us. And may that remembrance then move us, O God, to a greater love, a greater devotion unto you in the days and weeks and months and the rest of our life to come. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We are going to sing number 353 from the Psalter hymnal. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand, the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. We're going to sing all the verses of 353.
following the benediction, we will sing uh, 350 verses 1 and 4, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Receive the parting blessing of our God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.